welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Pastured Pig Podcast. So good to have another episode out. And it seems like the weeks just fly by, especially in the summer months where there's so much going on. It seems like every time I turn around, uh, another week has passed or some other crises <laughs> has popped up on the farm. But uh, excited to be back and looking forward to just keep plugging along. Well, I want to do some. Uh, some updates and stuff before we get into our interview today. And I want to give you all an update on our red wattles. Uh, for those of you who've been following the podcast or our channel for a while, you know that this is our first year with red wattles. They've been doing really well, and I'm, I'm very happy with how they are managing the forest. I know that sounds like I'm putting too much uh, stock in what they're doing, but they really aren't hard on the ground, um, especially right now. I have them on a pretty steep slope, helping clear out a lot of underbrush, and they are doing a great job. We've had copious amounts of rain and have not had any erosion issues associated with that. So really happy with what we're seeing. Getting removed them to a new pasture that's um, well-established, that will have a lot more ground, <clears throat> Excuse me, and then we'll be, um, we'll be reseeding that area that we're moving them off of uh, a couple days before we actually move them so they can stomp some of that seed in the ground. But really happy with what we're seeing there. <clears throat> They're scheduled to go to, well, I haven't actually scheduled it yet, but on my calendar in pencil, we're looking at the end of September to get them to freezer camp. And uh, I'll share the turnout of that when we get our weights back and all that fun stuff. Um, just some basic housekeeping stuff. Remember, we have our Patreon page. If you'd like to support the Pastured Pig podcast, really appreciate all those who do. Some of y'all been on there for a very long time, and man, I appreciate it. It really helps cover the nut of uh, the expenses associated with this, and of course, just keeps the motivation there to keep plugging along uh, when there's 16 other things that need to be done. It, uh, it is a good motivator there. So if you'd like to support us uh, for as little as $5 a month, you can do so. Uh, you can see the link down in the uh, show notes here. Along that same line, we've got our Facebook group, The Pastured Pig, growing day by day. Good post, good commentary going on there, good discussion. Should be sure to check that out if you're on the demon social media of Facebook. Um, also, we still have our uh, The Pastured Pig website, uh, classified ads. Uh, I've, uh, I've set that up to test and... And there's been good entries. Uh, the question is, is, is how much people are interacting with them. Uh, Facebook goes back and forth on whether you can sell online or not within groups, outside of groups. So there's, there's some warnings we've gotten, but uh, it's really tough to figure that out. But um, give me some feedback on that. If you find it valuable, I'll keep it going. If it doesn't, then, uh, then we can just say, well, that was a test, and we can move on from it. But uh, check that out, The Pastured Pig. Dot com. Okay, so one more thing. This is this is something I'm I'm hesitant to even mention because this is about as transparent as I can get, and it's going to <laughs> we'll just see. It's kind of you know, put up or shut up. 
But um, we are launching, Red Toolhouse is launching a new cooperative in our county uh, where I'm organizing a group of farms that sell products in the manner that we feel is, is congruent with how we raise our animals and products. And we're going to package those and we're going to start selling those direct to consumer in our Charleston, West Virginia area. And that's the um, largest metro area in the state. It's just uh, 20 minutes from our farm. And uh, yeah, there's nice demographics there. So what we're gonna be doing is offering weekly delivery services to the home, <clears throat> directly to the home. People will place their orders online on our website, if they order at a certain cutoff during the week, then their order will be uh, in that Saturday delivery. They pay online, all that type of stuff, so no cash changing hands with the delivery drivers. And we'll be offering all of our products, so our pork, our chicken, our eggs, um, even some baked goods and some other value-added stuff. And I've got another farm who's producing beef for us. I actually have two farms that are producing beef for us. Uh, another farm that's gonna help us with eggs and another farm that does maple syrup production. And in the, in the discussions with some other farms, one uh, has a, a very large strawberry production in the spring, so may have him ready next year. So the whole point of me bringing all that up is it's, this service, of course, is something new. It's requiring digital setup with a website. It's requiring um, marketing, so we're going to be doing direct mail, we're going to be doing digital marketing in these key neighborhoods where we're going to target and try to saturate. It's going to require email communication, it's going to require delivery management, it's going to require um, relationship building with these farms, and it's going to require you know good profit and loss analysis because um, we want to make sure our other farms are making money, but I'm the one footing the bill to build the customers and communicate and provide all the technology. So uh, we'll be doing a wholesale retail type situation. So what I want to do is I want to detail that as it unfolds on Patreon. And those will be audio updates that I'll do and just release. And I, I will say, okay, here's, here's where we are. Here's what we started with. Here's what we've got going on. And then when we launch at the end of this month, uh, then I'll give the updates. You know, did, did we hit the ground running? Do, do we have a long road to go? And in that audio, be sharing uh, the gory details of what costs. It almost be like an um, audio diary as this unfolds. So everyone that's a supporter of Patreon will be able to access those audio files and hear the updates. And as a special treat to our top tier, because we've got some diehard top tier people, and I'm... I'm, I'm I recognize that I need to take care of you guys more than, than everybody else because you guys are really, you know, you're, you're footing the largest chunk of money and, and everybody in the top tier has been there for the longest time. So what I'm going to do is for the top tier, I'm going to provide the documentation. So I'm going to put the direct mail marketing on. I'm going to put the digital marketing details on. Um, we'll put cost analysis. We'll get... Uh, agreements, uh, uh, details of, of businesses you know, that we're doing with the other farms. So we'll have all the documentation that backs up the audio. So I think this will be, I hope this will be beneficial for y'all and just kind of see real time how it plays out. So you guys can be voyeuristic and see. And of course, if it falls flat on its face, then this will just be 
a couple months update. <laughs> if it takes off and grows legs and continues, then then I'll just keep it going because uh, I'm I'm really excited to to see this. And in my 20 years of marketing, I've never done marketing for myself at this caliber, at this degree, where there's this much investment of money and time and and effort. So uh, I do want to share that because I think there's going to be a lot of lessons learned here, even. Even me, who's who's you know, supposedly you know the the professional at doing these marketing services, I'm going to learn quite a few things, and um, I want to share that with you all firsthand, so you guys can get uh, hopefully some benefit from that. All right, so check that out. Uh, that'll probably be starting up here the um, end of July, first of August is when we plan on hitting the ground running. So we'll have our first series out there, kind of the pre-flight of what we've got invested already and then uh, detailing as we go along. Well, today's interview, we are going to zip over to West PA, uh, not too far from us, uh, about a half day's drive. And we're gonna talk with Eric Bennington of Heritage Homestead. And uh, Eric has a, has a neat story. He and his wife, his family, they left the rat race. They were, they were doing quite well for themselves uh, in Delaware County, in the Delco area. And, uh, and construction and real estate and all that type of stuff. But Eric really felt the need to get out of the rat race. And so he moved to Western PA and he's now farming. So pretty cool story, but I'm gonna let him tell the rest of it. And I'll catch you guys on the flip side. Welcome to the podcast, Eric. Hey, how you doing, Troy? I am doing well. I'm doing well. So West PA, that's almost exactly north of me, I guess. Uh, well, actually, Cat's Whisker East. But um, are you are you close to the Pittsburgh area in that neck of the woods, or are you further east? Yeah, so we're about an hour and a half, hour and 40 minutes northeast of Pittsburgh. Actually, when we moved towards West PA, I wanted to stay within an hour. But, you know, we, we, we found this little town, and uh, it's a really nice town. We really liked it. So Very cool. All right. Good, good. Yeah, there's some beautiful country up in that up in that area. I love um, the further you, or closer you get to Erie, that just seems gorgeous up in that area. Yeah, we haven't been there yet, but I'm hoping this summer to take the kids up there because being from Philly, we go to the shore in Jersey and uh, everybody tells me how nice it is up in Erie. So we got to, yeah, I really want to go there. Yeah, yeah, that's, I'll say I've been to both. Um, I'm, yeah, I, I would probably choose Erie over Jersey Shore, but um, I'm, a, I'm a southerner at heart too, so that there's maybe yeah. something to do with that. <laughs> so, old lake. Yeah, had to choose one. Yeah. All right. So tell me about Heritage Homestead, and and let's start a little bit, uh, kind of where you are now with the property you have, but then we'll go back and talk a little bit about your history, because uh, you already mentioned Philly, uh, but why, uh, you know, why you're where you are now. But first, tell me about your property setup and what you're doing with pigs right now. Okay, so we um, we have 40 acres. Um, you know, in the future, we'd love to get more. Um, we have 25 pasture, 15 wooded. A couple acres of that wooded is, uh, I always hear you and other people from West Virginia talk about um, ravines or hollers, as I think you guys call them. Yeah. Um, some of those are real steep. Like, we don't like the kids going down there. <laughs> not yet. They're not old enough. So they're not usable. But it's a nice little property. It sits on top of a hill. Uh, it has great views. All the pasture is really nice. I'm staring at a bunch of it right now and some cows. Um, but uh, our so our pigs, most of them stay back in the woods. We run them on about 10 acres. Uh, we basically just rotationally um, run them through the woods. Mm -hmm. You know, once they tear 
it up, we move them on to another one. We don't really use too much of a time scale. Really, I look at it based off of how much, um, you know, how much green have they destroyed, how much uh, feces, stuff like that is on the ground, and I basically time it out like that. Yeah. Um, still do some farrowing up in barns, which I'm trying to get some uh, space set aside for farrowing, uh, and that's something that hasn't came about yet. But um, we've had them strictly on our pasture before, but the goal is to separate them and really keep them into the into the woods, like woodlot raised pork. Yeah, because you're you're using your pasture for other animals as well, right? Yeah, yeah, we have uh, cattle. Uh, really, it's for cattle, and then we do some meat birds, um, and then we have an assortment of other animals that my wife wanted me to buy goats, which is just don't buy goats; they're bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I want to sell. That. Yeah, yeah. If anybody's in the market for goats, contact me. Um, <laughs> have them. But yeah, it's like I said, it's a, it's a beautiful little town. Uh, the weather here is a little bit different. Like it's very dry right now, whereas Philly's a lot, a lot more humid. And then throughout the winter, it is much, much colder. I wasn't expecting how much colder it was throughout this winter. So we definitely had to had a few challenges with that. Um, it's actually the coldest temperature I've ever experienced in my entire life. In, my, in all of my 32 years, that was the coldest few days I've ever had. So that was fun. So do you are you are you close enough to Erie that you guys get some lake effect snow? Does that did you have a lot of snow this year? We do. So we're in something they call it like the I eighty corridor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we basically get blasted from the north and from the south, both either heading from north. I'm sorry, southeast and northeast. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we get a lot of that snow. They'll get more of it because I have a buddy that lives uh, towards Erie. They get a lot more than we do. But there was a day that our boar. Uh, his shelter, I went out to feed him, his shelter, the the roof had blown off of it. Oh, no. And it was, I think it was negative 10 degrees, and it was, but with wind chills, around negative 40. Wow. Um, and I had icicles frozen off of my eyebrows and my, my eyelashes. I took pictures of it. It was, it's like in the movies, it really does happen. Like, right. if it's that cold, you will get icicles on your face. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had to, yeah, I had to fix it. So, and that's part of, you know, having a farm is it had to be done. Yeah, for sure. So, so what um, did when you when you got this place? How long how long have you been on this property? And when you got it, was was there a lot of infrastructure in place already? You mentioned barns, uh, or did you have to kind of build everything from scratch? No. So, um, so luckily there's an equestrian barn. It's like six stalls in there with a with a little office, which is really uh, really cool. And then there's a hundred and ten year old or hundred and thirteen year old actually. Um, it's just one of those big barns. I think some people call it a bank barn. Yeah. This, it used to be a dairy farm. Yeah. And uh, so they had, and the previous owners used the equestrian barn with four acres set up behind there, right on top of the hill. In the future, we might actually just turn that into gardens and make that into a greenhouse. It depends on what happens. But so there was those four acres, which was really nice. As soon as we moved here last summer, we moved here last August. So we've been in here less than a year. Um, we could just, because we had a bunch of piglets and we just, opened up the trailer, let them go in. They were already trained to the line. I was kind of nervous that they, cause back home we had um, like the, um, the, the yellow and black wire, uh, the poly wire. Yeah. Here, most of it is the high tensile stuff. Yeah. I was kind of nervous that they weren't going to know, but they got shocked a couple of times and they figured it out real fast. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So, um, so it sounds like you had some some decent infrastructure in there, but you already you brought pigs with you when you moved from East PA. Is that is that is that correct? Yeah, I had the I paid a guy basically. He brought a really long uh, livestock trailer, 
and he uh, livestock. I'm, I'm starting to talk like these guys out here. Yeah. Um, he brought a really big trailer, and we just loaded them up. That was a that was a, quite the battle. But you know, we do it a couple times a year anyway. So, and uh, yeah, like I said, we just backed them all up. Um, the only thing that we've really built here are a lot more shelters, mm-hmm. um, like wood, shelters for down in the woods, shelters for you know the breeding sows, and for our and for our boar. And then setting up all of the line in the woods, which is, it's actually pretty easy. Real realistically, we use the trees. So, so we really, I'll put a block of wood on a tree. I'll screw it in. Um, and then I use kind of the landscape to decide where I'm going to go. Luckily we have a couple spot spaces that are like, there's one five acre spot. that's pretty much, you know, it's shaped like, um, like Manhattan or it's shaped like Jersey, you know, kind of like, it's just like a one big, there's a uh, stream that runs through it and the edge of the property is right there. It's like a perfect spot to just jump pigs back and forth. Mm. Um, we have a stream down there too. So all of the, our, uh, all of our water I get from that stream. So where some of the pigs are right now, I've literally dug almost canals out and created large, large um, wallows and drinking areas for the pigs to, to get the water. The, the, the water is great. It's a, we have a natural spring at the one side of the property some of our water actually is, is that water as well. Obviously we have filters on ours, but they get whatever we don't use, which is most of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that sounds great, man. That's, that's yeah. a great asset to have there. That, that saves a lot of money and a lot of effort. <laughs> a lot of uh, freezing. It's never frozen. Even over the winter, it's, it's never frozen, which is awesome. Um, any, any of the pigs that are on top of the hill and aren't in the woods and aren't, you know, don't have that water down there. Um, that you know that's still a hassle we still end up doing the same thing as hauling out buckets to them and stuff but if we have you know 20 30 feeders down there i hauling that much is just that's insane i couldn't i don't know i don't understand how people do it right. i guess they have to put water lines right right so yeah. so what's your experience in raising uh raising animals it's, yeah, again it sounds like uh, you've only been here on the property for a year but it sounds like you you definitely have some experience back at your previous property so we lived outside of Lancaster, PA for a couple of years, uh, about two years. So we've, we've really only been doing this for, I think altogether we've been doing it for around around three years. So whatever the, uh, you know, three years minus nine months, whatever that is. Um, over there, we had five or six acres. We rented the land off of an Amish guy and um, we, we ran a few pigs. We had probably maybe, I think we did 10 to 20 feeders that year. I can't remember. We had a couple litters. We had a lot of uh, trouble with it, a lot of learning curves. Um, at first, I wanted to do you know IPPs or a Cooney, something smaller, and then I ended up getting a a sow that was a Burke Hereford cross. Her name was Butterfly. She was just like an incredible pig, and I just I loved her temperament. I loved how she acted. The Coonies weren't nearly as fun as she was. Mm-hmm. Realistically, they just, they're very reserved, whereas this pig was kind of more bossy and playful, and it kind of changed my mind, and we just started bringing on other pigs. But back there, we did – you know, we had Rhode Island Reds for laying, which we still do. Um, we had sheep. The first week that I moved there, I came from a row home right outside of Philly. Um, if nobody knows what a row home is, it's basically houses. They're all just touching each other, and it looks like just strips. It looks like you're in a like a beehive for miles. Um, and we came from that, and within the first, I think, five days of me being there, I bought like five or ten Katahdin sheep <laughs> um, and just – dumped them out in the pasture and that kind of started it for us oh i love it yeah yeah just dive in head first man yeah we wasted a lot of money i i what's funny is you always hear podcasts and and i listen to all sorts of different podcasts and they always say like take your time take your time and it's always somebody saying like hey i made all these mistakes (laughs) take your time 
And it's funny to sit here and say that now because we did make a lot of mistakes. Oh, yeah. 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 I can speak to that, too, man. Yeah. If people would just take advice of the people that have done that already, then they could save a lot of time and money. But sometimes people have to learn. But yeah, that's good. That's good. No, I, appreciate I like that attitude of just uh, can do, jump in and do it and, and, ha and have at it. So um, so let's let's real quick, because I, I still want to come back and, and talk a little bit about the evolution of you know, why you cross Pennsylvania, but but getting back to the the setup of your pig. So you've talked about having a sow who's um, who's uh, you know, a Burke Hemp cross. So so what have you settled, and how many pigs do you have now, and, and and what's what's the breed you're staying with? Um, so right now we have we have one boar, uh, three three sows, um, well one sow, two gilts, um, cause we actually just got uh, processed one and we wanted to bring another one, uh, another two on. Uh, and then for feeders, I think down in the woods right now, we have around 10 feeders and then we have another six or seven that are in the barn right now. Um, and they'll be going down there. We're actually low on, on feeders right now because we ended up having a, a sow that would not, um, she wouldn't take over the winter. So we were for months, she wouldn't take. And finally we had to process her uh so we're actually we we should have around you know six to 14 extra pigs right now so we're actually in the market for some yeah. but uh yeah i mean we do anywhere for the goal this year is to do 30 40 feeders um and then to keep three sows two fair eat two fairings each a year and just to keep my one boar on yeah. we've thought about mixing in some other genetics um like through ai stuff like that uh but the breed we've had all sorts of things that we we have an old spot. She hasn't been bred yet, but we wanted to try that. Our boar is a Berkshire um, Duroc cross. He's mostly Duroc with a little bit of Burke. He, he looks almost completely Duroc if you were to see him. He's beautiful. He's a, he's a great big boy, great for uh, confirmation, great temperament, everything. Um, and then we want to stick with Burks. So we want to do Dur basically Duroc Burke crosses because that's something that we really like the meat quality. Our customers, every time we've had that, they always say the same thing. The marbling is great. The the meat is incredible. And that's kind of what we want to go with. Yeah. Yeah. Good deal. Good deal. Yep. All right. So so let's talk about this. I, I think this is this is interesting. So uh, people may have already picked up on this. So, yeah, you, you're not a multi-generational farmer. You you, um, you, know, you you didn't grow up on a farm. You, you're, you're not farming full time for your uh, your income. But you actually have an interesting story where you you guys were outside of Philly and we're in a total different, totally different line of work. And and uh, explain that a little bit and why you wanted to get out of that and move to the other side of the state and, and focus more on farming. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, like you said, and like I've said, I, I am from Philly. I'm from uh, everywhere from West Philly to South Philly, uh, Southwest Philly, all the way towards um, like the southern end of Delaware County. If anybody knows what I'm talking about which is along uh, the Delaware River. It is not country whatsoever. Um, it's You have some like hint of suburbs, but it's mostly like a very city feel. You, you drive through it, it's, it's the city. Um, <clears throat> that being said, probably like 12 years ago, I really started just having like this push towards a much more traditional life. You know, like I, I, I didn't like, I didn't like where I grew up. I really didn't like how I was brought up, honestly. So like, I really knew that in the future, like I wanted to, whenever I had a family, I wanted to get away from the city. So I started construction, doing roofs and, um, you know, in masonry and interior renovations when I was probably 15 years old, working full time. I got out of school really young. Um, fast forward, you know, 10 years later, 
we, I had my own business. I had a, you know, a kid. We actually moved to Florida for a year. Um, just think just to be closer to my wife's family who her grandmother, and her mother have had a, a vacation home down there for years. Her mother ended up moving there. There's a ton of cattle down there, ton of orange groves. So we figured let's go down there. We can probably buy land cheaper than up here. Land's definitely cheaper. Um, but it just didn't work out for us. It was the same thing, kind of like with the, you know, just jumping head first into the, into the farming thing. We, I, I'd never even been down there. I just said, you know what, I'm just going to pack up all my stuff and we're going to go. Um, we got down there, we stayed there for a year. It was nice. And it really just being in that environment, like with, with very people that were much more traditional, they were, a lot of them were very religious. They were very nice people. I, I just, I really like clung to these people. I really liked them. And I loved the the atmosphere, the environment that I was in. Everybody down there had chickens. They all had pigs. They all were doing stuff. It was just very different. Um, <clears throat> so we moved back up here and um, we restarted the business up here, which was an interior renovation business. And we basically specialized in working with investors, some homeowners, but mainly working with uh, real estate investors and turning over um, flip projects. Basically, you buy a house for this much or you acquire it in some way, you fix it up, you sell it for a profit. So after a couple of years of doing that, we really had that down. You know what I mean? I had the trade down, I had the numbers down. So we started then a few years ago, we started buying our own uh, investment properties as well. For a couple of years that went really well. We made a lot of money, it, it was fun. Honestly, it was a lot of really like a huge headache. Uh, my wife knew that I was like really stressed out. I was getting stressed out all the time. Um, and then, you know, probably a year or two ago, we started a wholesale acquisitions company, which basically it's like the we buy houses thing. Um, so we dabbled in that as well. And I would basically I had two guys making phone calls and sending out letters constantly all day. I had a few guys working on investment properties and then I would basically drive around the properties and check on these properties. And then I would sit on the phone, on the computer all day and either call people or go over numbers and, things like that. And it, for a while, I thought that this is what I wanted to do with my life. Like this was it. I wanted to be one of these guys that were like on Instagram and they had all this money in the cars and they, they knew everything about real estate. And I, and I really want, I really thought I wanted to do that. And then, you know, like I said, around the same time, we really were getting deep into real estate and we, we were doing well. We started raising livestock. A few, you know, this is around three years ago. We started raising livestock. We started keeping chickens and we moved to a bigger property and I just fell in love with it. Like I, I didn't want to do anything else. All I wanted to do was hang out with my kids all day. And a lot of it is work. You know, everybody who listens to this or if you don't, you know that this it's work is extremely hard work. And sometimes you're chasing a pig. Sometimes you're chasing a bull. It happens. It's dirty, but there's just something so like um, primal, you know, primitive about it. And I didn't want to do the other stuff. I didn't. So, so basically, you know, nine months ago, we, we were looking for a new house and we decided we might do the real estate thing, but I want to make a go at owning a farm. Like I want a real farm. I want to make profit. I want to run it just like I ran my other businesses. I want to take that experience and that knowledge um, and, and sales experience as well. And then push that into, and, you know, transition that into farming. Oh, that's great. That's great. So you, so what made you choose that side of the state? Was it just because of property availability, the, the cheaper land, just a change of pace? So originally we wanted to stay within an hour of a major city. Um, and it was because it, we didn't want to stop the construction or the real estate business 100%, at least not yet. Uh, so we 
excuse me, we wanted to be within an hour's drive of a major metropolitan area. So through looking around the state and, and also to get a mortgage, it's 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 easier to like to stay within your state. You know, our what the type of mortgage we got also we were looking towards other 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 states as well. But we really liked it up here. We liked the people. Um, we liked the school. We homeschooled back home. And, you know, before we moved out here, we went and me and my wife interviewed um, a few teachers and a principal, to be honest with you. Like we sat down with them. We talked to them about a bunch of stuff. Like we want to know your curriculum. We want to know what you're teaching our kids. Um, so we were, and we, we really loved this town. We walked through, it's got a main street, only a few blocks, which is just the coolest thing in the world. Cause it's something that, you know, being from the city and really loving like that country lifestyle, going someplace where there's only a few block main street, which just it was so picturesque to me. It's like, I could seriously see my kids like hanging out down here. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, other than that, it was really just because it was relatively close to Pittsburgh. And then there was a cu couple areas like Indiana and Dubois that are not too far away. Um, and then there's another few neighborhoods around here that are relatively high income. So it doesn't take me really far to get to a few neighborhoods that have very high value houses, which, I can capitalize on. And if we ever want to jump back into investments and I'm still running the construction business, I can use these people for work. And that, that was basically it. Awesome. Yeah, that's great, man. I, I love that. Do, doing your homework, checking out, uh, keeping that criteria, saying these are absolutes and then these are things that we can um, negotiate, uh, but using all the criteria to find where you wanted to be and, and move from there. So good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. Okay, so um, a little rabbit trail, and, and uh, indulge me if you would here, because I, I've, of all the interviews I do and people run into and consulting and stuff that we do when it comes to homesteading and farms and things, people have this um, barrier that they, they think they can't get past. And, and as, a, as a construction guy, as a guy that's you know, made his living from that and, and has that experience, speak into that a little bit if you will so when, when people say i don't have any skills uh, when it comes to building or construction i don't know how to do basic carpentry i don't know how to do any of this type of stuff so i feel like i'm inadequate or i won't be able to do the things i want to do if i want to homestead so a from a builder's perspective how important is it to have that skill but b what would you give some advice or what advice would you give to people that are that think that's that's just beyond them. They they don't have the, they're they're all left thumbs or whatever the case may be. They don't have the coordination or the inf or the skill to be able to to do that. How how would you speak into that? So honestly, it doesn't take a genius to do a lot of this stuff. Um, I, and that's like really bluntly, um, you're gonna mess up. Like if you want to build, uh, if you want to build, like I could I could I always make a joke to people like I could build your house tomorrow. You just got to give me two helpers and a, and a bunch of money. Um, <laughs> but most of the things that, that you're going to build, the materials are read, readily available either at a lumber yard. That's out here. There's so many lumber yards. Uh, in, in every country a area, there's a ton of lumber yards, and there's Lowe's and Home Depots everywhere. So most of the material that you're going to need is always there. Um, always go with Milwaukee tools because Milwaukee are the best. Um, and uh, realistically, you're living in a day and age where there's a YouTube video for everything, yeah. and that sound it sounds scary and. I would say it's actually sometimes harder for a guy like me to go out and tackle projects because there's so many things that I want to do and I know I can do, but right now maybe I can't do it. And it almost like you get into like this, um, um, like you're, you're stuck because of indecision hmm. and it's like, well, I want to do this, but I can't do it, but I don't want to waste this. You know, 
two grand building this when I could wait a year and then do it like this. And it's, you kind of get into that like indecision. So I would say sometimes it's actually harder if you do have a little bit of experience because it's, you know, you're, you, you might be a little bit more slow on the draw to get things done because you want to do them perfect. Interesting. Realistically, yeah, just jump right in. Just do it. Yeah. Um, yeah, like like I said, and if you have somebody around you that, that you can uh, ask for some help, trade some pork. Trade, tell them like, hey, look, it's going to take, you know, six to eight months for these guys to grow out. And I'll give you a half of this pig if you and it's worth this much money. If you come out and spend two days with me and just show me how you're doing this. That's what I would do is I would try to barter and create relationships. Yeah, very good. Yeah, great advice. Definitely. And I, and I agree. You got to start somewhere. And very good point about YouTube. It's just it's amazing the resource that it can that it has become over the years when it comes how to learn stuff like I yeah I've, I've turned a wrench ever since I was a teenager and and feel feel like I know my way around a car but man it's it's just it, it, it'd be ignorant to say hey I'm gonna go out and do something to the truck or to my son's car um, I'm gonna go ahead and check a YouTube video on that just to make sure you know, I'm doing it right and and you know it's no matter how experienced you are there's always some little trick or some little skill that somebody has like oh wow that's gonna make that easier to do or or you know I wasn't expecting this little um, obstacle and and that, that video has given you that experience. So yeah, good advice, good advice. So so let's talk about, um, and you mentioned you, you have polyculture there, and, and, and while we are the Pastured Pig Podcast, I, I, I talk regularly about how important having polyculture on your farm is when it comes to the business model because it helps you with cash flow, it helps you pick uh, around seasonal stuff, it even helps with uh, customer supply and demand. So. Um, from that perspective, where you have polyculture, what is your um, what is your income goal? Are you are you building a customer base now to sell holes and halves? Are you doing cuts? Are you packaging it together with your other stuff? Are you looking into wholesale? What what's your angle there? So right now we do holes and halves, but we want to build a facility. My house. So the one thing about the house that we didn't like when we moved here is that it's very close to the road. It's a good thing and a bad thing, right? So it's it's bad because hey maybe you can hear a car or you know my, you know my wife doesn't like it, but it's good because for an from an advertising standpoint and getting like that that lo those local sales um, that's another thing out in the out in the out in the sticks especially out here everybody wants to buy from somebody you know their neighbor and they can see what what's being done they can see it they can look and say this is how they're doing it so for us we want to get licensed to sell cuts we've already talked to my wife called him and then he called me I think it's the USDA guy I can't remember. Uh, but it's like for our area, he told me the re requirements and that's a project that I'm still basically getting the scope of work for. It's just like we just talked about before. It's the, you know, it's that preparation. It's like I realistically, he told me throw up a sink and a fridge and you can sell cuts, yeah. but I want to build a, a nice little shop. You know what I mean? I want to make something. I want to make sure that I do it right. This way we can have a shop. So right now, like I said, it's, it's, um, uh, holes and halves. Um, and then in the future we want to do. The, the small shop where we can do cuts out of and also we're you know we're, we're always all over the place you know we're, we're looking at right now how would we package some of our stuff and sell it back to Philly because we sell a lot of holes and halves to Philly so we will because we have a lot of friends and family down there and we were a part of a lot of uh, you know um, groups of people that were very homestead organic food you know um, you know they had that mindset so we use a processor in Indiana and we literally will go pick them up and then drive them there. Um, and then, you know, they pay a fee for it. Um, that right now is not scalable. It's really not. So we need to do it a different way. And that's kind of what we're looking into. Other than that, we have a couple uh, 
similar to what we're trying to do, but on you know they're on a bigger scale, small uh, local food stores that sell like local honey, local meats, ice cream. You know they you know some of them do like one of them, they buy the our pork from us, but they do their own they do their own beef. Um, so like we just love getting the emails when it's like you know hey a local raised product. Um, you know, raised with no soy, no corn in, in their tortillas that they're selling this Saturday night. Um, something like that. Like, and it's just really cool. So we kind of touch all of them right now. Where we're going to go in the future, I don't know. I mean, really, for us, it really depends on what makes us the most money. With wholesale, we don't make as much money off them. I sell it at a reduced price. But the difference is, is that they'll buy 10 of them at a time. And that's what's great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I want to talk about that a little bit more. But I, but I do want to point out something real quick, because I know a lot of people aren't familiar with Pennsylvania geography. When you say your processors in Indiana, you're talking about Indiana, Pennsylvania, oh. correct? Indiana, Indiana, PA. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to Indiana. Yeah. Not Philly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that yeah, he, he's not driving that far to have his pigs processed yeah. to another state. But uh, yeah, Indiana, PA, there, there's a university up there. I think I used to do business with back in the day. Yeah named Indiana yeah, University. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, so the wholesale thing, and, and this is what I think is interesting, uh, Eric, and that's why maybe uh, let's, let's camp out on this a little bit. So the wholesale market, I know we haven't had many people in all the, you know, 100 plus episodes we've done, we haven't had many people uh, really say, well, wholesale is what I want to be, unless they're in a major, major metro area, and they've they've gotten great relationships with with uh, either organic um, markets or restaurants or those type of things. So so where you're located and, and what you're doing, how's how, how's your angle of approach on that? What are you what are you looking for? Again, we, we know the benefit is buying in bulk at lower price, but it's you know less customers that you have to deal with, but, but what's your angle of approach? How are you going to, in, with your sales experience, how are you going to approach that? So if you have, <clears throat> so if you have, uh, so if you're doing, let's just say you're doing, you know, average uh, fairing, right? Ten, ten, 10 piglets. Um, you have 10 pigs, you're running them. You have to do all of the same work that you have to do to do 20 of them. Um, so if you have your regular customers that maybe you do, you, you know, you sell 10, 20 holes or halves a year, Sorry, one second. My uh, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, you're still there. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, right. Um, so if you have, <clears throat> if you have this space and this time that you're already putting towards doing ten of them, if you could find a local restaurant that would be willing to either use your pork or sell your pork in their cuts, why would you not take it? And if you still know that you're so say so on our on our wholesale when we sell, we lose about about a quarter of our profit per pig. But for us, it doesn't matter. Like for me, I'm still making money off that. I'm still spending my time down there with the other pigs as well. And realistically, if I could get to a point where my profit is going to be the same, if I have to run, <clears throat> if uh, you know, forty, if I could do uh, thirty holes and halves, and or I could do forty at wholesale to local restaurants and local, you know, organic food shops, it's much easier to just sell to all them instead of having to deal with these multiple. Uh, customers having to deal with individual people that are only buying maybe a half or a whole that you're using so much of your time. So you're, you're basically trading dollars for time. Yeah. Um, and for me, my time is very valuable. So if I can lose a little money, but save time, I'll just use that time to do more, honestly, make more money doing something else exactly. or, or just bring more pigs, build more infrastructure. So, and really like getting those uh, clients really isn't that hard. 
So we, you know, again, coming from, uh, you know, wholesaling uh, and real estate, you, you can, something that we used to do all the time was it's called cold calling. So we would use, it's called a lead funnel. So you basically find, you know, you start with every single personal person in the world, and then you're going to narrow it down to every single person in your state or every single restaurant in your state. And then you're going to look for, well, who are the people that are most likely going to buy what I'm doing? Say if you're doing, you know, we're not ready, raising them in a feedlot, we're doing the woods or pasture, you take pride and you have integrity in the way that it's raised. Maybe you're using non-GMO feeds, um, you know, however you're doing it, you then start to target those places that are going to think that your food is important. Not everybody's going to do it. When we got out here, we've talked to some people and they're like, oh, that's all that city stuff because we do a non-GMO, non-corn, non-soy organic feed and it's much more expensive, but there's plenty of restaurants that love our food because they can market it and they can add uh, you know, they can add a very high markup on our, our, our on our pork because of the way we raise it. So we started cold calling. Uh, we, and we, like I said, you, you know, you look for those uh, restaurants and those shops around you that will find value in your product. So, you know, you have to, like I said, start with every restaurant within, you know, 200 miles and then <clears throat> start to narrow it down to you know, through Google or Google Maps or, uh, you know, uh, you know, some kind of search engine, um, organic food stores, natural holistic food stores, use all of these search keywords, make a list of, of all of these places. And I mean, you're, you're going to have, you could have 50 restaurants and start calling them. Just pick up the phone and start calling. And that's, that's what we do. Yeah. We just call them. <laughs> and then we tell them, this is what we do. This is what we can provide you. These are our prices. Are you interested? And yeah, you'll get a lot of people that turn you down and say, no, we're not interested. But you know, one out of 10 people are, if you can find two stores, they're going to take even 10 pigs a year, something like that. Like, it's a, you know, even at wholesale prices, you can still make a few thousand dollars off it. Yeah, no. And that's great. And and my goodness, you've, you've thrown out a lot of things here. I like to, to kind of unpack a little bit. So you, you know, you, you said the cold call world, a word, which I know, you know some people just you know, absolutely gasp. <gasps> you know, I, I could never do that. I, you know, I don't have, I don't have the personality to do a cold call, but, but so, so let, let's talk about this real quick. So, and, and we won't we won't role play, but but um, give us some some key pointers when it comes to cold calling. So you found again, you've used your sales funnel, you found the low hanging fruit, the people you think are mostly you know, they're the center of your target. They're mostly going to relate uh, with with your product that you offer. So you said you you tell them about the product, tell them about the farm, give them some pricing, and ask them if they're interested. So um, that is obviously a pretty quick pitch, I assume. You know, not an elevator pitch, but it's not it's not a long drug out thing. You're trying to get trying to get those keywords in front of people so they can respond. But when they say, "Yeah, I'm interested," what's your next step at that point? What do you do after they say, "Okay, yeah, I am a little interested." You know, what else you got for me? So for us right now, because we're not doing cuts, it's really for us, we're, you know, from a logistics standpoint, it's based off of when we can get them the product. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's a problem that a lot of, you know, your listeners, uh, you know, us and other people who don't do cuts are going to have the issue with. Hopefully, like I said, in a few months, we're gonna, not going to have that problem. Um, but really, it's about coming to a, a good price point, making sure that they're OK with your price point, making sure that they understand the value of it. And then really, like I said, it's all about logistics and, and making sure that you can serve them properly. And make, to, to build a relationship like that, you, you're really on the, um, you're on the, you're not on the back end of the relationship, but you have to understand that at this point now you're running a service industry. Uh, so you have to understand that their time is valuable. And if they're going to use your product, that you have to make sure that they feel that you're, um, one, that you're providing value, two, that you understand their needs. Um, 
you know, and, and three, making sure, you know, a lot of us, like, if we come from this world or this homesteading world and you're using, like I said before, these natural ingredients, everything else, sometimes you hear people that are kind of smug about their meats. It's like, well, look, there's other people that are doing this. So make sure that, that you know, you understand that they are, they are extremely valuable to you. Like if enough of these people can really change, they can change your life. They can take it. They can take you from where you're not doing a day, a day job anymore. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. And, you know, having those, those key points there, proving that you're competent, proving, proving that you recognize what's valuable to them, your potential customer, and then just having the confidence to be able to express that as quickly as possible. And as, um, uh, yeah, as succinct when it comes to some of those key points. So, so what is, so I know without cuts and, th and this is, I, I don't sell wholesale at all. So this is actually from some of my own morbid curiosity as well. So do you find those restaurants saying, okay, I'm interested, but I, but I want a sample or I'm interested, but I, I maybe just want long and hog from you first to test out. Do you, do you run into that much? Yeah, 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 we have, and we we always meet their needs. Yeah, I mean, we always so we 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 keep a large amount at our house still. Yeah. Um, but you know, for legal reasons, I'm not allowed to sell cuts, sure. quote unquote. Um, right. but, uh, so I mean, yeah, we always have some at the house, so it's it's not very hard for us to, you know, say. And then also, if you're giving it away, it's it's completely different. Exactly. Um, if I'm giving it away, like we we have another store, uh, not far away. They we just talked to them the other day, and they want us to do a pop up. Basically, we're going to bring some produce, bring, bring some pork, coolers, everything else. And yeah, we'll see. And we want to advertise for the pork. It's very hard to do it. So we've thought about different ways. How do you advertise for pork at a pop-up? Um, you know, so we have a bunch of different ideas on how to do it. Um, you know, there's, you know, like I said, there, there's a bunch of different ways around it. Um, but yeah, we, we run into that all the time. And uh, I don't mind giving away pork. Like I said, like I don't, I don't care. I would, I would lose a... I would lose a whole hog if I had to, to make sure that for the next couple of years, they're going to be buying at least a few from me. Right. Um, you know, I'm not going to do that. I'm not just going to go giving bigs away to, every, <laughs> to everybody, but it's, it's just about understanding, like, that's how a business operates. Sometimes you have to really, you know, you got to eat some, eat some crud or what's that saying? You know, you kind of have to, yeah, you just kind of have to, to get out there and do it and just yeah. maybe take a loss to, to really gain something. Oh, exactly. Yeah. I, like I said, for me, it's always been weird because we've done so many businesses. We've done so many different things. It's just, it's, yeah, it's just, for me, it's like, it's never really a big deal to just kind of get out there and do it. Right. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and, you know, looking at those loss leaders to be able to get in front of your customer and have those regular touch points, that's what we, uh, we run into with our farm that like uh, pastured eggs for us is our loss leader. I don't make I don't make a profit off uh, eggs when you factor in my time, and so it's one of those things to say. But I, I have customers each week transacting with me, so it allows me to have that regular touch point. So when it's time for pork to be ready or to introduce a new product, then they they have that comfortableness with me. They have that regular uh, weekly communication in place. So they're uh, it's no surprise when I call them and say, hey, I, I now have pork, or I now have beef, or I now have these things available. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely see what you're saying. No, yeah, you're absolutely right. So one of the easiest things is, so when you go to a grocery store, the way that most grocery stores are laid out is done by a corporate entity hundreds of miles away. And the reason is, is that they want to make sure they're maximizing what you're going to sell. Just like you said, those touches. Um, so if you go into, you know, when you're in the grocery store and you go in there for something, everybody knows this. It's something, you know, it's a common trope that everybody talks about. So the aisle that you're checking out in, there's a reason that those things are set up the way that they are. And it's because they want to get you to buy something and they, they make a lot of money on a lot of those things. Mm -hmm. yep. uh, and that's the reason that they're there. 
and it's the same just like you said so this is why we've started to bring on so many different things because we've had some of our customers contact us and say hey you know um i was talking to somebody he does beef i was just wondering like i didn't even know that they think they asked do you do beef so it's at this point it's like well yeah now we do beef like we brought on uh we brought on cattle just because so you know pork is delicious it's great but i love steak <laughs> um, you know and most people like steak as well so if you can if you can you know if you can um basically double your sales or you know with a with a steer it's even more uh to the same people to the same shops to the same uh clients um yeah i mean you just saved yourself a lot of time and it's i mean it's just it's just helping to grow your business yeah yeah definitely definitely good stuff good stuff well, well, Eric, let's let's look at this. So we know here in the future, you, you said uh, getting into being able to sell cuts, looking at possibly um, building a shop to sell out of, take advantage of your frontage that you have. But what else here in the next five years do you see as as a goal for for what you're doing there with your farm? Um, so meat birds um, and a CSA and and, and produce. Um, all, well, I, I want to increase the the uh, the pigs as well. Uh, how many that we do. I want to double it within the next couple of years. Um, and in doing so, I want to buy more land uh, to, you know, to help do that. But other, other, you know, other businesses here, you know, things that work in the same business, it's meat birds, CSA slash our, you know, our, a market garden. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. So looking at, again, diversifying your, your um, things that you're making available, uh, to have uh, you know, a broader product availability. And that CSA will be interesting because uh, you know, CSAs normally kind of hang out in the, uh, the vegetable side, but obviously you're going to be able to have a broader product offering there uh, once that CSA comes online with uh, vegetable and protein and all those things that you offer. Yeah, so that's kind of one of the thoughts of it is that, so we actually started advertising when we first moved here for it, but uh, this year we just we have so much stuff going on, so I decided to, it wasn't me. My wife kind of decided to be honest. It's <laughs> like I think you're really busy. I think you just need to because we do so much stuff. You know what I mean? We we breed German shepherds. We have all the animals. I I actually like I I've been training martial arts, you know, more time jujitsu for like ten years. So I, I help teach at a gym. So it's like my day is just completely stacked, and it's it's just really tough. Like we don't ever have time. I mean, we incorporate the kids in all of this. I don't want people to think I'm just like uh, you know a dad that never sees his family. Right. Um, but so we had a bunch of people and that, that's kind of how we did it was that, hey, these are the other things we're going to have. And if you are a part of the CSA, this is the discount that you get. Uh, and that's kind of how we did it at first is a discount. But going forward, yeah, I think what would end up happening is no, they would just be a part of a, you know, almost like a, like a cow or a pork share. Yeah. And that, that's what it would be. Yeah. Good deal. Good deal. All right. So uh, I, before we wrap up, I obviously got to ask you the question, ask everybody, and that is in your experience so far with pigs, what is, what is the, 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 your favorite thing? What do you most like about raising pigs on pasture? <clears throat> Which really funny is I thought about this a lot today, this question. Um, <laughs> and I, I have so many answers, but I think one of them is, is the, like the versatility of them. Um, and this is from a, this is from more of like a, like a business standpoint is that there's, so many different feed options. There's so many different things you can do with them. Um, there's so many different ways that you can raise them. Uh, so in different areas, different climates, like they, they do really well in so many places uh, it, it, from frigid temperatures to high heats, from woods to rocks, to sand, to, you know, everywhere they do great. Hmm. Um, but from like a personal 
it, it's it really is their personality. Um, you know, I always said if I if I if I ever was gonna stop, I shouldn't. This is blasphemy. I know if I was ever gonna stop eating meat, the first animal would be a pig because they are just incredible animals. You know, like it's fun to to watch them, right. like watching our little burks um, fight each other. It's I mean, it's the it's the cutest thing in the entire world watching these you know two and a half week old piglets just go at it. Um, you know, so they're just a cool animal. They're like. They're like really, really tasty dogs. <laughs> that, all right, that that that's definitely the best quote I've heard in a long time. <laughs> Very yeah. good, and, and I would agree with that. Yes, the, the the personality, the playfulness. There's nothing like moving them into a new section of pasture and just watching them carry on. It's it's fantastic. Uh, pig, yeah. t- pig TV is better than anything. So. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, man, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. If if anyone wants to find out more about you, do you have an online presence yet? Is that something you're still building or, or how can they find you? Um, so we have a, my, my wife is still working on the website and all that stuff, but you can follow us on Instagram on becoming trad, um, you know, just be B E C O M I N G T R A D. And that's, we do a lot of stuff, uh, marketing on there as well. Um, we do a lot of stuff, but it's really about, kind of like a journey from you know coming from the city and my background to where we are now and it's just but we're, we're trying to get much better with that yeah good deal good deal all right well um man i appreciate it we'll, we'll definitely have to follow up with you next year when you get uh, some of these other things in place and and just see uh you know kind of get an update from you to see how things are going yeah absolutely i would love to come back on like i said i love the show and we were talking about um things before i mean like shows like yours are Really, I mean, they're, they're one of the you know big things like they build confidence, especially in me, that, that made me want to say, you know, I can actually tackle this. I can do this. Oh, so, man. yeah, I mean, I appreciate it. Good deal. Good deal. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate it. And, man, I, I pray you have a good evening. And, and thanks for coming on. Well, I really appreciate Eric coming on the podcast. Enjoyed his story. And uh, if you would like to be on the podcast, I'm actually getting some capacity here. I'm running a little short on interviews in the queue. So if you've reached out to me and somehow I've overlooked you, it's not that I would deny that I have because there's a lot of emails that come through um, and you haven't heard from me, give me a shout. Uh, hit me up again and we'll get you scheduled and would like to keep the uh, queue going here so we'll have other episodes to share with you all. Just go to thepasturedpig.com or redtoolhouse.com or you can just email me directly at troy at redtoolhouse.com. Well, I pray everyone have a great week. And if you're in the area of the country that's roasting heat, I hope you and your pigs are cool. If you're in the area of the country that's deluged in water, I hope you and your pigs are buoyant. God bless y'all. Take care.